Good morning. Good morning. It is great to see everyone this morning. Uh, we're so excited about, about this weekend with all of our students and uh, everything that the Lord has been doing. Uh, we're actually going to start this morning, as you can see, with the baptism uh, of one of our students. So we're very excited about that. Uh, but as usual, I want to read a, a, a scripture uh, as we open our service. It's actually uh, really the theme of our weekend. Our, our, our weekend, uh, it was all about being clean and being made clean. And so uh, I'm going to read a passage that we looked at this weekend. Uh, this is Psalm 51. Many of you are, are familiar uh, with Psalm 51. And I'm going to read the first 10 verses. And verse 10 was really, that was our theme verse for the weekend. Uh, David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And, and those words, it's awesome and fitting that this morning we do a baptism. We think about Jesus cleansing us and washing us. Of course, the symbolism of baptism, being dead in our sins and dying and being buried with Christ, cleansed in Christ, and being resurrected in new life. So at this moment, Kaysen, come on down. This is Kaysen Hedger. Kaysen uh, began coming maybe about a year ago or so to youth uh, with uh, her friends. So uh, she began coming every week uh, with, with her friends, and this past uh, January at our winter retreat, uh, she decided to follow, uh, repent of her sins and follow Christ. So we're so excited to baptize her this morning. Uh, I think her family's here to, to see that. I know I told this last night to our students and uh, this weekend. Uh, after that winter retreat, that following Wednesday, we had youth. I wanted to give our students an opportunity to say, you know, who responded this weekend? And I, of course, knew students who had responded and, and, and said they were following Jesus. They were turning from their sin. And first thing, immediately Kaysen stood up, uh, and, and to me that shows, it is really so much evidence that, you know, she is following Jesus, she is being obedient to Jesus. She came before the church uh, just, uh, was it last week or two weeks ago? I think a couple weeks ago, I think it was a couple weeks ago. About two weeks ago, she came forward before the church and, uh, and now is following in baptism, which is, of course, our very first step of obedience, really. Uh, this is not a saving work. Jesus has already saved her, and she is doing this to be obedient to Christ. So, so Kaysen, is Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life? Yes. All right, Kaysen, then my sister, it is my honor and privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, you raised to walk in the newness of life. Please stand and worship.
Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. Before we get started, I just wanted to say we've, we've had such a great, great weekend with your students and a phenomenal weekend with your youth pastor and your youth volunteers. This has been a wonderful, wonderful time for us as a group. Uh, see a lot of familiar faces we saw last year, uh, some we didn't, uh, but it's really good to be back. Uh, this was a great weekend, and we're excited to cap it off today with this service. My name's Ben. Uh, this is the band. Uh, I'd introduce them, but they don't want me to. So uh, this is my wife right here, Sarah, just to introduce her. But we're going to go into some quick worship, some songs you know, maybe maybe one or two you don't, and uh, we're going to have a great time worshiping God. Amen? Amen. This song is called The Lion and the Lamb. It's coming on the clouds, kings and kingdoms will bow down, and every chain will break, as broken hearts declare his praise, for who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before him. Our God is a lamb, a lamb that was slain. For the sins of the world, his blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow before the lion in the land. Oh, every knee will bow. So open up the gates, so open up the gates, make way before the King of Kings. Our God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord? Oh, sing our God. Stop the Lord 
rising sun shall pierce the night and I will rise among the saints my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face yes Lord one more time that chorus oh praise the name of the Lord our God oh praise his name forevermore for endless days we will sing your praise oh Lord oh Lord our God one more time we sing it out oh praise the name of the Lord our God oh praise Forevermore, for endless days, we will sing your praise, oh Lord, oh Lord our God, and oh Lord, oh Lord our God, amen. Savior say, thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all, yes, sing cause Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, sing had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow yeah Lord now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and this heart of stone. We sing Jesus. Oh, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Repeat that. Oh, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We sing, oh, praise him. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up. We sing that one more time. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. 
time we'd like to ask the ushers to come up and prepare for the offering time. pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house. We thank you for this baptism we had, Lord. And Lord, we just ask your presence to be here in this sanctuary, in this worship service. We raise praises to you. Lord, we just ask you to take this offering we're about to receive for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll sing that chorus just one more time while they're taking the offering. Sing, oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid Praise the Lord with a hand clap of praise this morning. Thank you. I'd like to welcome our speaker for the weekend, Mr. Josh McClellan, up to the stage for their word today. Join me in prayer if you would. Father, you are the one, the true, and the living God. There is no God but you. And we confess this morning that on our own merits, we are found to be lacking. We are poor in spirit. We are not worthy to be in your presence. We are to be cast out. But through the work of your son Jesus, through his mighty work on the cross, and through his resurrection from the dead, 
we have the great privilege of being able to be to draw near to you and to be close to you and to be with you this morning to know you to worship you to enjoy you and so we give you praise this morning for the work of Christ that gives us access to your presence here today we thank you for your word and its truth that gives life and breath it's what we need it's what every person on this earth needs today I pray that through its proclamation that you would conquer unbelief. I pray that you would break through spiritual apathy and numbness. I pray you would open our eyes to what's really important in life. So easy to be distracted by the lies of this world. I pray that you would allow its truth to open our eyes to what really matters. We pray that through the work of your spirit, we might be transformed in our inner being in our inner person, God, so that we might love you and serve you and obey you in a greater way. And we claim all these things because of the grace and the work of Jesus on our behalf. It's in his name that we pray and we come before you today. Amen. Well, good morning, Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky. I bring greetings from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, I had a chance to be with you last year and um, Zach asked me to come back. And so we, uh, we, we are great friends. For those of you who don't know, Zach was a former student of mine uh, when I was a college minister in Oklahoma. And um, he's become a dear and treasured friend, more than just a student I discipled, a fellow co-laborer in the ministry of the gospel now, and um, more as peers and friends than anything. And so any chance I have to be with him and help him, um, if I can be there, I am. And it's been great with the band and um, they do such a great job, awesome job in, in leading us and singing. Um, and then I've uh, just enjoyed your students, even though they're a pretty young group, they've done a great job. I do wanna, I do wanna send one shout out though to a group of people this morning. And uh, a lot of times with things like a Disciple Now and other events, the speaker and the band get a lot of attention. We're kind of visible and seen. But the real superstars of a Disciple Now, straight up, are the host families and the small group leaders. So if you are a host family or a small group leader, um, I, uh, I sing your praises this morning. <laughs> you guys do the hard work um, and the really important work of taking care of those kids and working with them in the homes and uh, following up on some of the things that they may have heard and, and learned. And so anyways, without you guys, Disciple Nows would not, one, not happen and two, really not bear the fruit that it usually does. So you guys are great. And uh, thank you for your willingness to do the hard work uh, this weekend. This is the easier part. They have the harder job. And so thank you guys for your hard work and your sacrifice this weekend. Zach mentioned earlier that our theme over the course of the weekend has been this idea of clean. Clean is an idea that's mentioned alone in the Old Testament over 200 times. So that's a pretty major theme in scripture. When things keep getting repeated, it means it's probably a big deal. And so we've worked with this theme and we really just had a chance to look at the the narrative and story of scripture in light of this theme, it really fits in well with understanding the gospel. The first night that we looked at the fact that God is holy or clean, Leviticus 11:44, and because of that, we need to be holy or clean as well. 
We looked at one of the funner passages in the Bible, which is the uncleanliness laws of the Old Testament in Leviticus 11 through 15. And we talked about the fact that God imposed these rules and these guidelines when it came to things that were clean and unclean, like you can eat these animals and not these animals. These diseases make you unclean and clean um, or unclean. These, uh, these particular bodily functions will make you unclean. Things of that nature, not because certain animals were just naturally dirtier than other animals or certain illnesses or diseases were naturally dirtier than other illnesses or diseases, but because God was using these as examples of ways for them over the course of their everyday life to remember that, listen, as we come near to the tabernacle and approach God, the tabernacle representing God's presence, that if we're to draw near to him, we need to be mindful of whether we're clean or not because God is clean and we can only draw near to him if we are clean as well. In the same way, the sacrificial system, sacrificing lambs and goats never saved anyone. God implemented that so that they would understand one day when the true sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, when he comes, they would understand why he's there and what he's doing. He wanted that daily reminder for them that when you sin, something has to die. So that's why God implemented these rules, even these very tedious rules on Israel, because he wanted these day-to-day reminders that, listen, when you sin, something has to die. When you want to come near to God, you need to think about whether you're clean or unclean. Because you can only draw near to God and come into his presence if you are clean, like he is clean or holy. This is problematic, however, because as we looked at in our second message, Psalm 51, which, which uh, Zach read from this morning, we're dirty, aren't we? We're not holy. And this creates a great dilemma. And we're sinful and dirty in ways that go far beyond probably what we even realize. It strikes to our core. David talks about in that psalm that he has been sinful since he was formed in the innermost place. This wasn't just a few bad decisions and mistakes on David's part. This is a part of how he was born from the time he was conceived. That this sin runs deep. So what do we do about that? Well, here's the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus has come and Jesus can make us clean. We looked last night at passage after passage in the gospels where we see that everything Jesus comes in contact with is made well and clean. Over and over in the gospels, if you see, um, if you read carefully, you will see that Jesus takes someone's hand, he touches them. And when Jesus touches something, guess what? It gets made well. Everything Jesus touches is made well. Everything Jesus touches is made clean. That's what Jesus has come to do. You can only draw near to God if you are holy as he is holy. Sin simply cannot be in his presence. No dirtiness, no filth, no sin can enter into the presence of God. that 
Jesus is what we do about that. He is the one who has come to make us clean and to make us right before God so that we can enter into his presence. So that's where we've sort of been over the course of this weekend. And what I'd like to do this morning is I would like to look at the story of one of the Bible's most significant characters and how God takes the great failure of his life, the great sinful failure of his life, and he restores him and redeems him to his capacity and his ministry in service of Christ. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful story of the work that Jesus does. And I think it fits in perfectly with this idea of what it is for Christ to take what's dirty and sinful and <clears throat> in our lives and to forgive it and to make us clean and to make us useful to God once again. Turn with me to the book of John chapter 13. In verse 36, we're going to start. This is after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. This is Jesus at the Last Supper with, his, with the 12 or the 11, really at this point. Judas has left their midst. And... Uh, Simon Peter says this in verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? And here's, here's his words. I will lay down my life for you. You know, there's a lot of attention that's given to Peter's words in Matthew chapter 16. And Matthew 16 is an important passage. In fact, it's the hinge on which the entire gospel of Matthew really sits. First chapters 1 through 15 really paint this picture of who Jesus is. It shows us the wisdom and understanding of his teaching. And it shows us the great power of his miracles. That he is both wise and he is powerful. That he is unlike any human being that's ever walked this earth. And the conclusion we should draw after seeing who this man is and what he has to say is to conclude with Peter what he does in Matthew 16. That what? That you are the Messiah that has come from God. It's the way that Matthew structures his gospel so that you would see in that first part who Jesus is and what he has done and what he has taught and conclude with Peter that you are indeed the Messiah. It is the great confession in that book and it's a very, very well-known passage that I'm sure most of us have heard preached and taught before. But what Peter says here is even a further step from that. It's the next step, that if Jesus is indeed the Messiah, Peter is saying here, if it's true that that's who you are, I will follow you to the end, even to death. This is the great confession of discipleship. Not just who Jesus is, but that because of that, I will follow you, even lay down my life for you. This is the ultimate confession for those of us who are Christians. I will follow you, Jesus, to the end. These are Peter's words here. I think it's a greater confession than what he says in Matthew 16. I think it's, I think it's the, 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 the logical conclusion that if Matthew 16 is true, then we should say this and do this with our lives. He says, I will lay down my life for you. 
This is that moment. And I, and, and do you, I believe that Peter really, really, really believed in his heart that he would do that. Peter wasn't saying that loosely or lightly or flippantly. He really believed that. To which Jesus responded this. And I can only imagine how difficult it was probably looking at Peter knowing, knowing that Peter was probably being as sincere as he could be as he uttered those words. And he says to him this, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Those must have been hard words for Jesus to say to one of his closest earthly friends. When Peter looks at him with sincere eyes and a sincere heart and says, I will follow you to the end. And Jesus has to look at him and say, no, you won't. Turn with me now over to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, starting in verse 15. The other disciple that it's referring to here is, in fact, John, the author of this gospel, even though he doesn't call himself by name. But he says here, starting in verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, that being John. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they it and at once a rooster crowed. If you were to read the account given to us by Mark in his gospel, it uses language that's exclamatory where Peter says, I don't even know this man, exclamation point. That is a firm, <laughs> passionate Rejection and denial. I think sometimes we probably don't go far enough in really understanding how serious what Peter did here really was. Maybe sometimes we're inclined to kind of let him off the hook a little bit. Listen, when it comes to a rabbi and his disciples, this is virtually unpardonable sin. This is shame and failure that is virtually irreparable. He has given his life to be a follower of Jesus. He has made Jesus his teacher. He has spent multiple years walking away from everything and learning his way. And here he is three times and the number three is significant. Because to do something three times or to say something three times when you're a Hebrew or a Jew means what? It means it's perfect and complete and final. This is a picture of Peter rejecting Jesus ultimately and finally. This is the closest person that there may have very well been to Jesus in his earthly life and ministry. And three times rejection of Jesus means ultimate, final rejection of him. That's the picture going on here. This is a big deal. 
for the life of someone like Peter. He has said, I have nothing to do with him. And by doing it three times, it means that this is ultimate and that this is final. We can't let Peter off the hook for how bad this really was. <laughs> literally, literally, after just moments ago, laying out the greatest thing we could ever say to him, the ultimate words of devotion and love and dedication we could ever give. I will go with you to the end. I will follow you even to death. He follows it up by what? By three times, ultimately and finally rejecting Jesus and denying even knowing him. That's what Peter does. And of course he hears the rooster crow and he runs off in shame. I want you to turn with me now to John chapter 21. Between the time that Peter rejects Jesus and denies Jesus and John chapter 21, a lot of stuff happens. A lot of stuff happens. Jesus is crucified. Jesus comes back from the dead. We know that on at least two occasions now, Peter has seen the resurrected Christ. He's seen him. So it's not as if he's discouraged or down because eh, Jesus is still gone. No, it's exciting. Jesus is back to life, isn't he? And yet I want you to see what's happening in John chapter 21. This is an important moment in scripture and it's a beautiful, beautiful picture that we have here. Starting in verse one, it says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two others, oh, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him saying, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far away from the land, but about a hundred yards off. A couple things I wanna make sure we point out here from the verses we just read. Number one, it is striking that this moment really, really looks like a moment in the past, doesn't it? It looks like the very first time Jesus came and called these fishermen to come and follow him, right? He shows up on the sea, uh, on the shore. He tells them after not catching anything to cast their net on this side of the boat, they do it. They haul in this massive catch. It looks just like it, right? That's not coincidence that this moment looks like the very first time Jesus came to call them to follow him. Here's the second thing I want you to see. When it uses language in verse seven, where it says he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. That is a way of saying that Peter had gone back to being a fisherman. He was stripped for work. Peter had taken off uh, his outer garment and he, was, he, would, he had gone back to being a fisherman. Now, now Peter is aware that Jesus is alive. He's seen him alive before, right? At least twice now since he's resurrected. So why isn't Peter excited and ready to get back to work in ministry? 
Why do you think? Because in Peter's mind, I have forfeited my right to be Jesus' disciple and follower. I have forfeited my right for him to be my teacher. So guess what he's done? He's gone back to being a fisherman. If you continue on in verse 9, it says, When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the old fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now one of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? And they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So here's what we get to. I can only imagine this scene, okay. Peter is there. Jesus is there. John and some, a handful of the other guys are there. Talk about probably a silent, awkward meal, right? Yeah. The elephant in the room is just sitting there and they're probably looking around wondering like, who's going to talk first? What's going to happen? Eventually what happens is the rest of them get up. If you look, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. So everyone's probably moved on and, and now this moment has come for Jesus and Peter to look at each other face to face. And here's what Jesus says to him. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Translation for feed my lambs, tend my sheep, get back to work. Get back to work. Now, much has often been made in this passage. And if you've ever heard this passage preached before, this has probably been brought to light. But much has been made over the fact that Three times Jesus asks him if he loves him. And the first two times Jesus uses a particular word, but the third time he uses a different word for love. In the Greek language, there's four words for love. One is storge, which is a word for like familial love, the way you would love a family member. Uh, the second one is eros, which is a romantic love. Then the other two that are probably the most significant um, are phileo, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Philadelphia, phileo. Um, <clears throat> and that word is a word that speaks more of like a friendship or companionship kind of love. And then you have the word agape, which is the one used predominantly in the New Testament. And that is the word that speaks more of the unconditional commitment-based love um, that we typically refer to and, and think of when we think about the places that it says love um, in the New Testament. That's the majority of the uses of the word love in the New Testament is agape. Well, the first two times Jesus asks Peter if he loves him, he says, do you agape me? The third time he switches the word to phileo. And it's often been said that Jesus is essentially saying, do you even consider me a friend? Like it's a weaker kind of love um, in that third statement. The problem is it's really not a correct way to understand the nature of the word phileo. Jesus speaks of the way he loves the father and the father the, loves him with the word phileo just as often as he uses the word agape. And so 
as fascinating as it is that Jesus switches up the words there, as I've studied it, there's just no strong conclusion that I can draw as to why he does it. But here's the bottom line. The fact that he switches that word there is not the most important thing about this passage. You know what the most important thing about this passage is? The fact that he asks him three times, right? Why do you think Jesus had to ask Peter if he loves him three times? Because he had to redeem the great failure of Peter's life, which is what? The threefold denial of him. That's why he had to ask him three times. That's why on the third time, Peter knows what's going on. And look at what he says. After Jesus asks him the third time, Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved because Peter knew what Jesus was doing at that point. He knew what Jesus was doing. This moment here on the seashore, listen, it's amazing what God, what, what Jesus is doing here. Just like that very first time he met him on the seashore, just like that very first time he sent him out to catch fish when he hadn't caught any fish all night and he pulls in a supernatural haul. Just, a, just like that first time where he called him to come and be a fisher of men. Here is Jesus on the seashore, bringing Peter back to his original calling, redeeming the ultimate great failure of his life and saying, do you love me? Let's get back to work. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture. See, Peter in his mind, and I think like any of us, probably thought, listen, I have forfeited any right to speak for Jesus after what I did. There's no coming back from that one. There's no coming back from that one. And what is Jesus here to do? Jesus here is here to redeem that great failure in his life, to forgive him of it, to wash it away and say, let's get back to work. You know, that happens in our lives as Christians, doesn't it? Certain things happen and we start to think to ourselves, listen, I'm unfit to serve God. And it becomes paralyzing. And so we sit and we do nothing. And in reality, the work of Jesus is capable of forgiving us of whatever that failure is and restoring us to usefulness to God in the work of his kingdom. Jesus wasn't done with Peter and he's not done with us because we make bad mistakes. He died so that those failures and those sins and those mistakes might be washed away and we might be clean and useful to him again. This is a beautiful story to me of God's grace in Christ. Through a picture of this person who appeared to be as close to Jesus as anyone would have been. And failing miserably, failing miserably. Listen, this is betrayal. This is ultimate final betrayal by Peter. And what does Jesus do? Jesus comes and he meets him and he redeems it and he restores him. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel for us here in Lexington, Kentucky this morning is that whatever failure, whatever sin, whatever mistake you did or committed at whatever point is redeemable and forgivable by Jesus. And he looks at you because of his work, his mighty and finished work on the cross on our behalf. And he says, I can make you clean and I can restore you now.
I don't know who you are and where you're at in your life today, but here's what I do know. I know that the longer I follow Christ, the more in touch with how great a sinner I really am starts to come into focus. I remember hearing the great words of, uh, of uh, the great pastor and the former slave trader, John Newton. I hear these words in my head all the time. Um, I am a great sinner, but Christ is an even greater savior. And this is true. I seem to come, uh, my sin sort of comes into focus. The, the, the longer I live and, and the more in touch I become as I grow older with just the depth of my depravity. <laughs> the depth of my sinfulness before God. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is capable of forgiving us for whatever that is. I've sat in rooms with people who have done really, really bad things. And it's one of the great joys of my life that I can look at those people and say, listen, you need to know that Jesus forgives people for that sin. Jesus washes that sin away, whatever it is. One of the stories I go to is the story of Peter, among others. What about Paul? The terrorist Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 3, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul says in that passage, listen, he said, I am the chief of sinners. Paul wasn't just saying that because it was kind of nice to say. I think Paul absolutely believed that. Why would he have believed that? Because listen, he was responsible for putting to death Christians. He put to death those who were Jesus' body. In Paul's mind, I am the worst possible person out there. I am indeed the chief of sinners. And yet, the grace and the work of Jesus was sufficient to cover his sin and to do what? And to make him useful to Christ. And he became one of the great Christian leaders, Christian theologians <clears throat> throughout the history of the church. So whatever your sin is, there's grace for you today. Jesus would look at you and say, do you love me? And if your answer is yes, you know what his answer would be back? Then let's get back to work. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the work of Jesus on our behalf. I pray this morning that if there's any who need to hear this message, they need forgiveness, they need to be cleansed, they need redemption and restoration. God, I pray that they, that they would know that it is theirs today in Christ. I pray that you would meet them here. And I pray that you would do what only you can do. I pray that they would respond in faith and pray, God, that you would equip and empower your church to be light and to be truth to the world around them. God, raise up this church, raise up its people, God, to faithful work and ministry in the city of Lexington. God, that there are good days, new days in front of them. Days like any under others that they've had in the past and that God, you have a purpose and a plan and usefulness for them to see the gospel go forth in their city in ways that it never has before. And God, may you be faithful to build your church in this place and through this congregation. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I'm going to hand it over to Zach now to lead in a time of response. So Zach, why don't you come?
As the band plays, this is our time of response as a church, not just for our students, but for the whole congregation. And uh, perhaps this morning, uh, as you've heard the gospel uh, and the message, you know you need to be made right with God. You need to be clean. Uh, you stand before God dirty, and the only way to be made clean is to draw near to Jesus. So at this time, that's the time for you to do that. Come respond. Uh, myself, uh, others will be ready to receive you um, and to lead you in however we need to. Students, you as well. Um, and perhaps also some of you, you're discouraged. You know, you think, I've been like Peter uh, and I need to be restored. I need to go back to work. And you need to to respond as well perhaps you need to uh, make that public that you know it's not that I need to be saved uh, but I need to know I need to express and commit to going back to work for the Lord so uh, during this time uh, please respond and we'll be here to receive No equal, 
real quick. Um, uh, first, the first thing uh, I want to announce, uh, and it's in your bulletin uh, for the college ministry. This Thursday, um, I'm sorry, uh, right after the service, uh, they're having a meeting in the library because uh, this Thursday they're serving the BCM dinner. So uh, they're going to need help with that. So if you're looking uh, to volunteer and be a part of that, uh, of course, Chris is leading that up. Uh, we're excited about all of the things and ministries happening here at Broadway. We're so um I mean, really just so excited about the future of this church in so many ways and in the college ministry. So um, Chris is leading that meeting in the library. And, you know, we want to continue to see work happens uh, in the lives of, of students from uh, very young through college. And uh, so if you have a heart and want to be a part of that, uh, go to that meeting in the library following the service. Um, uh, I want to thank just so many people. Uh, it, it's really hard to just name all the names. Uh, Josh mentioned all of our host home leaders, uh, all of our student leaders. Uh, thank you so, so much. Uh, just a tremendous blessing to see all of these students. And, uh, you know, it, it's been awesome. Last year we had 26 students with Broadway. And over the course of that weekend, I think we had about, uh, about 45 total with the other two churches who joined us. And, uh, this morning we had 42 students as a part of Broadway and we had a, about 60 total students so just really I told our students this morning I told our students this morning you know we're seeing you know they're the ones really getting after it um, you know they're the ones inviting their friends the baptism we did this morning that's because they have a heart for God they want to see people reached for Christ so uh, I'm proud of them on so many levels and we're excited to see things happen. I hope next year our D-NOW is even bigger, more students uh, with our group with, and the other churches who hopefully join us. But, uh, you know, I've, next year, like, let's hit like 80 or something, like, let's double it. So uh, thank you so much to so many people. Uh, I, I, there's really so many people that need to be thanked and I, I hope you know who you are. Um, I think you do, but thank you so much. Thank you to... Uh, to Ben, a dear friend, and uh, and the band who came with them, and Josh, uh, very thankful for his uh, work and his word this morning. It's been a blessing uh, to hear it. Uh, hopefully, for all of you, you feel the same way, and uh, you feel renewed and revived in your spirit. And 
as we do leave, I, I will close us in prayer. I wasn't going to do this, but because <laughs> um, we kind of, we did some things like, you know, I, I've always wanted like, let's take care of the band and, and everything. They actually had some car trouble. One of them had, they, they came in two vehicles. They did have some car trouble making the long drive from Oklahoma. And so I would like to take up a, a love offering for them. Uh, so if I could get some ushers at the doors, uh, if you feel led as you leave, uh, just drop a little bit in and uh, just to kind of help uh, with one of their vehicles. Uh, I, I think they're gonna be able to make it back. Uh, I think they got a Band-Aid a little bit, but uh, that's a long drive to make. And, and you know, they're gonna go through some weather that may be nasty. I mean, they've, they've sacrificed a lot. I mean. They've done so much, and uh, I know they're here ultimately, though, not for any of that, but because they love to, to lead in worship and, and, uh, and serve the Lord in that way. So we're so thankful and grateful, uh, and as we depart uh, today, uh, let's be in prayer for those things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, the work you are doing in our students' lives. Lord, that despite our filthiness, despite those things, Christ can save us. Christ can clean us. He can wash us and make us whiter than snow. So God, I pray that our students know that in their own lives at this congregation. They know that in their own lives and they know that when they've been touched by Jesus, they've been made clean and they've been made ready to serve you and to work for you that despite whatever sin and failures, those things that may seem so great, the things that we, we may think, how could God ever use me? The Lord wants to use us this morning. So, Lord, use us. Prepare us for the things of head. May we know that as life goes on and, and there's new challenges and uh, many things that may hold us back and slow us down, but may we keep running the race. Lord, this is a marathon of a race. So, uh, may we continue steadfastly and look to you, continuing to look to you in all things. Lord, we give this time to you. We give these students to you. Uh, we pray for blessing uh, over all those here this morning, that they would reach and touch others because when they've been made clean, Lord, they can give that cleansing touch of Christ to others. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Christmas.